Welcoming you into Pick and Pod with some new music. I've never heard this music before, but I like it. Different from some I Love Basketball or what What do we have in past years? I don't know, but I, I like the new music. A little bit Vin- of a change-up. <laughs> yeah. Vinny DeBellis here with Chris Calamari, Emmanuel Babari. How are you guys doing? I'm good. This is my first time on Pick and Pod, and I've been away from the station for a little bit, you know, getting back into it. Ready to talk some basketball. That music was electric, though. That, if that's brand new, <laughs> it's, it's got to stay. It, it's, it's, been a, stay. it's been around for a little bit, but we... Took another listen to it to start this year, and we're like, we got to stay with this. Oh, yeah. It's It kind of sets the vibe, and I think it gets us right into what was an exciting first week in basketball. Yeah, I've been tuned out, but it sets the vibe, especially for the the biggest brawl in the NBA I saw since the Carmelo Anthony brawl against the Knicks back in 2006. I don't know who is rating the size of brawls, but I saw that stat today, sort of unofficial biggest brawl in Rondo versus CP3. Had a little Brandon Ingram action. Uh, what was that, Sunday Sunday that it happened or Friday? I'm not sure. I, it was earlier. It, it was this, earlier, This past yeah. week. But just your guys' takeaways from that, all that action, are you Team Rondo or are you Team CP3? Well, first of all, the amount of punches that were thrown, it was electric. As yeah, far as really like brawls Haymakers. Go, I'm not, oh, yeah, people were getting <laughs> them in there, which you don't usually see. People break it up usually. But um, I think I'm Team Rondo. I've never been a huge Chris Paul as – you know, like a person fan, he's done a lot of stuff where he's jawed at people on the court. You know, there's the incident with Damian Lillard where he scored, I think, a last-second basket when he was supposed to just dribble it out, you know, out of respect for the other team. And there was a whole, um, you know, conflict there that Damian Lillard went up to him. So, you know, he's got a bit of a history, and that really bothers me. And I think, you know, while Rajon Rondo does, I expected more from Chris Paul in this situation. And it's like picking the better of two evils because I both think, you know, they acted wrongly in this situation. Um, but, you know, I think I'm Team Rondo here. Echo off of you, Chris. I'm more of a Team Rondo guy. I've always been a big Rajon Rondo fan for some reason or another, maybe just because he's that typical point guard in this such modern NBA, a guy who used to rack up like 14, 15 assists. But that's character completely aside. I think Chris Paul's a guy who – has gotten away with a lot of stuff in yeah. previous years. I also think he jaws at the officials an outrageous amount. So I kind of saw this coming, but not to this extent. And it was electric. You're right. You got the spitting. You got the punching. It's unbelievable. So, so many factors in but here. I, but I'm team Rondo. I'm team Lakers at this point. Yeah, hate to agree with you guys here, but I also got to side with Rondo. The big question here is whether he spat on Chris Paul to begin with because I know he's claiming that he didn't. He had the mouth guard in. It was incidental. But in that Rachel Nichols video where it zooms in on him, great camera work, by the way, it does look like it's an intentional spit. That's just my uh, assessment of the situation. But I, I guess if you spit on a guy to begin with, you got to fire back if you're Chris Paul in, yeah. in, in some way. But to fire back with an eye poke, I think that's weak. I would have just gone from the jump, throw, <laughs> throw haymakers to begin with, get the cheap <laughs> shot in there. But but trying to poke somebody's eye out I, th- I think is weak. Rondo, I also give him credit for throwing the first blow here. And then also big credit to Brandon, Brandon Ingram being the ultimate teammate flying in out of left field and just coming with his seven-foot whatever wingspan and throwing haymakers, defending his teammate who's only been teammates with for, I guess, two games at that point. Big credit to Ingram there. Pretty, yeah. sim- pretty symbolic of, you know, Chris Paul's entire legacy. What would you say? Just going with the poke instead of the punch? The poke yeah, yeah. instead of the punch? Yeah. Oh, very fitting. Definitely fitting. And I'm glad that you said Brandon Ingram. You mentioned him. Uh, it's great to see that they have some chemistry, obviously, that they're defending each other. And I love how LeBron handled it, that he knows that he's you know good friends with Chris Paul and he has the ability to get him out of there. So basically separating it and ending the fight effectively and not getting into it, um, which... 
LeBron always seems to be the best at handling these situations, and once again, he did it um, with the spitting. Uh, he probably spit, although he's trying to argue <laughs> like Carmelo would have seen. Like, all right, you probably spit. I don't know how much saliva you had with your mouth guard, but I think it was probably an intentional spit. I, I think the spitting was pretty over the line, but whenever you get to the point of punches, that's when the suspensions mm. start coming in. So I yeah. think that's where it really crossed the line. Good job by LeBron. You don't want it to turn into a whole like malice at the palace type of scenario. But really, I'm not sure what Lonzo's saying either. That NBA brawls, I guess, will never amount to anything, so no need to get involved. I'm not sure. Maybe you can make the peace or one another, but kind of running in the other way, I'm not sure. Uh, how I feel about Lonzo in this scenario either. Yeah, it doesn't shock me. I didn't see his comments or anything, but I did see that he was not eager to get involved in the brawl whatsoever. He, he seems like sort of a pacifist to me, just based on uh, my limited ball in the family um, <laughs> viewings back back a year ago when the whole ball family was real hot, their reality show on Facebook. He You know, he's, he's the mild-mannered guy who's just sort of go with the flow. He wants to play basketball, so I – I, I never really saw Alonzo Ball as the type to be in there backing up Rondo crazy. You could also look at it as, look, he's competing with Rondo for a spot. Maybe I'm looking too far into it there, but I, I think it was just more he didn't want to get involved in some stupid beef between two guys that he doesn't really have a, a, a role in. Yeah, usually I'm someone who uh, goes after Lonzo. I'm highly critical of him, but I like this move to just, you know, um, stay away from a fight because you're not going to help the situation. You're only going to make it worse. And I, I'll just compare it to guys like, you know, in baseball, Derek Jeter was very similar in that way. He was very hands-off when there was a brawl going on. Really, you never saw Jeter at the center of it. Or, um, you know, I'll go even further back. Sandy Koufax, when he pitched, um, would refuse to hit people. Um, you know, that's just the type of people they were. They just wanted to go out and play. And if you're going to take that attitude, I have no problem with that because that's what you're getting paid to do at the end of the day. And as long as you perform well, that's, no, you're doing your job. I guess it was a curious remark that I just wanted to, you know, dive into. But at the end of the day, I think this is really good for basketball. You never want to see people get suspended. You never want to see people punching at each other. But Lakers and Rockets, these are two of the teams that I think it's safe to say you're going to see at the very end of this. So you could potentially see these teams meeting back up in a second-round matchup. They're certainly going to have other matchups throughout the regular season. So in terms of a rivalry standpoint, when you have two of the premier teams for the last few years, and of course the Lakers are one of the premier teams in NBA history, I think this is really good for what could be heading down the line. It plans to seed. It plans to seed, like you said, for a potential second round playoff or first round. You you never know how these teams are gonna um, end up seeding in the East. I, I I mean in the West, you would assume both both of them are gonna make the playoffs. I I would assume the Rockets a little bit higher, but well, I mean we'll see how it goes. The Rockets got the best of the Lakers in that game, and I know I, I doubt either of you guys are ready to hit the panic button on the L.A. Lakers 0-3 right now, but is there a cause for concern that they haven't won a game yet? I know they've played some pretty good teams, or is it just, you know, they're 82 games, let's relax a little bit before we uh, are, are too quick to judge the Lakers with LeBron? Yeah, I'm not going to be too quick to judge them because they have LeBron James. You put LeBron James on any team in the NBA, I think they're instantly a playoff contender. That's just how good he is. That's how much better he makes those around him. Right. And I think the Lakers have so many pieces. Kyle Kuzma, you know, Josh Hart off the bench, Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, uh, Brandon Ingram. I think they have so many pieces to score. And one thing that um, the other night on TNT, you know, they pointed out was that their playmaking ability. They have a lot of people that can, uh, you know, make 
and create shots for themselves, and that's going to be key for them. I just think they need to gel together, get more comfortable, and LeBron's just trying to feel it out. They'll be fine by the end of the season. The only alarming thing from the first three games, they could have lost these games in any fashion, and I don't think I'd be worried because they have LeBron James, and as you mentioned, he really makes anyone in this league a contender for a title. 128, 124, 143, that's the points they've allowed. I understand one of those games went to overtime, but the defense has not been impressive. It's not necessarily a defensive league, and you can win shootouts, but that concerns me a little bit. But you can't base a lot off of three games. I I just can't with any team. So I think the Lakers are going to be fine. I think they're going to be a top-five team in the conference. And when push comes to shove, it'll be LeBron against the rest of the Western Conference in the playoffs. And ultimately, it'll be on him to take down the Warriors. So... We'll see how it unfolds. I think the defense was a little concerning in the first three games, but time will tell. Yeah, and it just points to how competitive the West is as a whole. It's not like the Lakers were out of any of these games. They were pretty competitive throughout all of the three. I mean, last night, I they, they definitely could have won that San Antonio game if LeBron doesn't miss a few free throws late. But it, it's going to be tough for them, and I think LeBron's whole attitude thus far – you see earlier in games, he, he's sort of trying to feel out his teammates, try to get them involved more. So, you you know, he could try to take over a game in the way that he took over game one of this past finals if he wanted to do that. But I think he knows in the long run there's no point in willing his team to a victory early on this year. He wants to get a feel and get that chemistry so that they can be successful later on in the year. Yeah, he uh... – he always likes to feel out a team before, you know, he really gets going with them. There was actually a stat the other night in his first game that when he's joined a team, he's lost every single first game he's oh, wow. played with them. That's interesting. And, you know, what I get from that is that he's just trying to feel out what he has, um, you know, who can do different things for him on the basketball court and how we can flow best and then go from there and really get going. And I think that's what he's going to do for the remainder of the, you know, probably the next 10 games, and then you're going to see an uptick in the Lakers, and they're going to start really winning some basketball games. LeBron knows how to save his bullets, and I think this has been evident since his rookie year in the league. He's always a little bit passive to start games. He's passive to start seasons. He knows how to save the bullets for when it really counts. He saw that in the finals last year, even after carrying his team through the first couple rounds. He was able to just lay it all out on the floor and give a really uh, – pitiful basketball team a chance to win a game against the best team that maybe has ever been assembled so he knows how to save his bullets that's why I'm not worried about the Lakers I think when it's all said and done the averages kind of work themselves out and the averages with the team that has LeBron James on it are normally pretty good yeah so there's no question I think the Lakers will turn it around as to how much they'll turn it around that uh, remains to be seen, but a team with LeBron James should be in the playoffs. I agree with your point, Chris, that I think you put him on pretty much any team in the league. I'd yeah. have him as a playoff team, especially in the East, how weak the East is. But move, moving to the Knicks now, I was fortunate enough to be at that Knicks-Celtics game last week, and the Knicks really impressed me there. I think other, probably other than the opening night against the Hawks when they came out and scored 126 points and won that game, the, mo the most impressive game from the Knicks so far they're they're one and three. Uh, got beat pretty badly by the Bucks last night. But the one, so well, there are a number of areas. But the one area that impressed me more so than anything was the team chemistry that I saw against the Celtics. The Celtics, a lot of people's favorites to to come out of the East, and for the Knicks to play them so tightly, come down to the buzzer and have Jason Tatum make a really tough shot in order to beat them. It just points to how resilient this team is. And, uh, look, they're, they're not super talented right now, but I think it's a group that really likes each other, and I think Fisdale is the right guy in there to sort of build the 
chemistry for the team going forward in in, in the off season when they're trying to get a guy w- w- with some cap space that they have. Yeah, I think it's really important that a young team like the Knicks have and with a lot of um, room for growth and basically no expectations for this year was able to hang with one of the best teams in the NBA and probably the best team in the East by the end of the year. Um, so it's a really good sign. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is I need to see a little more growth out of Frank Nilekina. I know he's gotten more minutes. He had 35 minutes the other night, and he scored only five points in those 35 minutes. I need to see a little more growth from him before – you know, I officially hit the panic button on what kind of player he's going to be. But if you're a Knicks fan, you know, it's a good sign you can hang with the Celtics. That's good team chemistry. And I think, you know, they're headed in the right direction. And I don't know how, what direction that's going to be for a while, how good it's going to be, but it's the right one. I agree with the Neil Akina assessment. And hopefully that plays itself out over the long haul and we can get an accurate judgment on where he's headed. But Right now, I really like what I've seen from the Knicks. And these late losses, as Fizdale mentioned, these are going to help the team grow. I really liked what I saw against the Celtics. I'm a little alarmed by how late in games sometimes the team will get away from what's been getting them to that point, if you guys know what I mean. They they normally are able to keep pace with a team like the Celtics, the Bucs last night, and then late sequences, uh, you just see some baffling decisions on the offensive side of the ball some isolation scenarios with Tim Hardaway Jr. where he's chucking up 30-footers. They don't have an idea of what they're doing late in games. Maybe that comes with the territory. It's a young team. They're not able to hang with these teams that know how to execute when push comes to shove, but I'm impressed with guys like Alonzo Trier. Uh, You you go up top to guys like Trey Burke, Damian Dotson, who are stepping up. So I like what I've seen. More development from Neil Aquino hopefully comes, but – Overall, about where you'd expect this team to be, just more competitive than you'd expect them to be with a 1-3 and three record. Yeah, regarding Nilakina, I don't think – I know he's young, but I don't think he's ever going to be at a point where he's a skilled offensive player where he can lead a team offensively. I just – I see the way he shoots the ball, and I think he can survive in the league for a number of years as a good defensive guy and sort of a glue guy on teams, a second guard who's sort of – uh, defensive-minded, but I just can't really see him being an offensive force that's going to – maybe play the role of a Hardaway or a Trey Burke on this team. Those guys are so much more skilled offensively than he is. But I think one of the issues with the Knicks overall, just right now, with Kevin Knox going out the other day, and obviously KP is still hurt, they're just the overall talent level. As much as Tim Hardaway has sort of been seen as the, the leader on this team, I know there have been a lot of reports in practice, he's the guy leading this team. He's not talented enough to lead a playoff team, and I think that's fine. He could He could be a role player on a Knicks team that – Maybe next year is a playoff team or the year after when they get some pieces in the draft, attract a big-time free agent. But this is going to be a season of moral victories, I think, for Knicks fans, which they've come to expect over the years. But anyone who is expecting this team to make a playoff run, I think, is uh, mistaken. I think you just need to see growth from players. Frank Nidalekina is one of them that I think you need to be able to see that he could play a starting point guard position. I don't think he can do that as of now because I don't think he has any offensive game as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think he needs to grow definitely this year so he can you know, be a starting point guard or at least be someone off the bench that can definitely give you effective minutes. And... You know, the Knicks just got to you got to go into every game and just hope to play people close, you know, hope to be exciting. I think that's going to be a key for them this year. Keep the morale up and know that this, 
You know, it's just a year of battles. It's not going to be many you, you'll you win, but you got to battle every night and see what you get. you got to cross your fingers and hope that Knox is back soon enough yes. because he's a big piece to not only what this team can do this year in terms of competing, even in losses, but in terms of attracting that marquee guy in the offseason. You need a guy like Knox to come into his own during his rookie year. You're relying a little too heavily on guys like Ron Baker right now uh, to come through. Not the biggest fan of Ron Baker <laughs> Not myself. Not Ron Baker guy. <laughs> Who is? Who is? Yeah, yeah. And a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr., yeah, he can score the ball and he can get in these spurts where he looks like an all-world talent, but who on the Knicks roster right now are you trusting to guard the other team's best scorer late in the game? Hardaway's not that guy, and he's gotten beat on several occasions now late in games. So I think that's what separates the Knicks, an exciting team, a close-knit team, a well-coached team from a veteran season, talented team late in games. Th- that veteran season, talent team has a guy that can replace Hardaway and be able to guard the other team's top scorer on a big sequence. In terms of the style of play that the Knicks have been playing so far, I, I think it's also attractive to free agents. They're just very free-flowing coming up and down the court, not taking too long. There's no triangle offense. They've gotten rid of that whole notion, and they're coming up, quick ball screen, shoot up a three. It's it's Warriors basketball. You know that They don't have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on the team, but it's that style of play, and I think that's appealing to guys who are offensive threats. Now, they need to get better on defense. If you look at the, the points they've let up so far, 124 to the Bucks, 103 to the Celtics, 107 to the – Nets 107 to the to the Hawks. Th- those are not all great offensive teams. The Bucks for years have struggled offensively, so they need to crack down on, on the defense. But again, with the Knicks, it, it's not going to be about this year and getting as many wins as possible this year, but sort of building and email, like you said, uh, j- just looking for, for pieces that can attract free agents in the future. They need Knox back healthy, but the way he rolled his ankle, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him out an extra few weeks. Yeah, that would be really unfortunate. But, Eman, I totally agree that you need to show promise this year so that in the future you get free agents that, you know, see the Knicks and they're like, you know, if I get here, we could really make something special. I could lead this team. And I think that's important when you're trying to attract guys like Kyrie Irving in the future or Kevin Durant, you know, those type of free agents that um, if they decide to look elsewhere, they take a look at the Knicks and they say, there's enough here that if I come here, I can lead them to a playoff run. Right now, Ennis Cantor, great stopgap kind of guy. And he's a really talented player who isn't appreciated enough, in my opinion. But guys like Knox and KP, when he gets back, those are the guys who are the selling chips, who, who free agents can look at and say, I joined this, and we could really be a force in the Eastern Conference. So you got to hope Knox comes back and he's strong. Of course, that first game you saw some of the uh, growing pains of a rookie talent. And then KP, of course, you know what he can do on a basketball court. It's just a matter of sustaining that success. So overall, I like what Fizdale's been able to do in terms of bringing this talent together. But of course, it's going to take more than just some exciting basketball to help the Knicks accomplish their ultimate goal. And a team in a similar position, also in New York, that's looking to build – Maybe not so much for this season, but is looking ahead to with with a lot of cap space to the off season are, are the Brooklyn Nets, one and two so far. They got that win over the Knicks, last minute win, but they've lost to the Pacers and the Pistons so far. And Chris, we were talking about it a little bit before the show. D'Angelo Russell's uh, sort of pedestrian, I think, is the word you use. Numbers so far. I have never been of the belief that D'Angelo Russell is good enough to be a franchise player. I know he's he's young, but a franchise player in in that that could 
take a team to the Eastern Conference Finals, for instance. I think he can be a role player. Uh, maybe that's too far. A, a second or third guy on that team. But I, I never looked at him and said, okay, this is the guy we're going to build around. In order to be successful for me for the Nets, they need a number one guy to come in, maybe a Clay Thompson or, uh, I don't know, K- KD. Not that I'd see him coming to Brooklyn, but a very attractive free agent pool next summer to come in and pair with Russell. But if, if Russell's the best guy, I think there's a hard ceiling on your team. Yeah, the thing with D'Angelo Russell is right now, you know, you mentioned I called his numbers so far pedestrian, and they have really been, you know, in uh, the few games he's played this year, 11.7 points per game. And what's really a problem is that he's shooting 35% from the field, which is a huge issue because last year he was at least at 41%, and he's really got to bring it a little more. You know, he's supposed to be the guy this year um, for the Nets that makes the jump um, to be that star player. And last year he at averaged 50.5 points per game. You know, that was in about 25 minutes per game. So his per 36 was about 22 points per game, which is a lot better. But he was supposed to be the guy that makes the big jump because something that the Nets always struggle with, especially last year, is closing games. They'd be up in the third quarter. They'd be up in the, at the end of the first half. Second half comes around, and they just don't have that guy to go to when you need to break up bad offensive possessions. You know, the Lakers, they have LeBron, so you have a bad streak of offensive possessions. All right, LeBron, break it up with a basket, and let's go back on defense and get a stop. The Nets just don't have that right now. They have a lot of good players. Karis LeVert's a very good player, gotten off to a great start. Jared Allen's really promising as a center in the league. Um, and they have a lot of you know, pretty good players, Spencer Dinwiddie, Allen Crabb, but they just don't have that guy. And they were hoping that D'Angelo Russell could be. I believe you know he's 22 years old. He still has the chance, but he's got to do a lot better than 35% from the field. I love what the Nets have done to assemble this score. I was seeing a lot of chatter on Twitter after the Knicks game about how Karis LeVert is like this number one guy. I, I don't see that. He's not. Really, so, really he solid is. player, but I think Nets Very fans solid. were jumping the gun a little bit. But overall, a lot of good supplementary pieces. They've gotten uh, the franchise into a position where all of this can kind of come together. They could be solid this year and then go after someone like that. I'm still not sold on Brooklyn being this big destination. Uh, for guys, but if hey, if they could bring in uh, maybe not a Durant, but someone a tier below, this could be a very, very relevant team uh, oh, yeah. for, for for years to come. Uh, so overall, I like what they've done. I'm not ready to say that they'll be a playoff contender type team this year, where they'll sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed. But they'll definitely be in that conversation, and I think they have the pieces to be in that conversation because you've already seen what a Knicks team can do, even with the lack of talent they have. If they're able to come together, they could do some things and compete in the games that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to compete in. The Nets are already doing that, and I think they have the pieces in a Russell and a a Levert and a, a Dinwiddie and an Allen that could be a borderline playoff contender yeah I agree I think they finish maybe ninth or tenth but may may compete for it a little bit I still don't think there's an all-star on this team I know it's a little bit early to make that judgment as as much as the east has gotten weaker I mean I I don't think Levert as great as Levert's been so far 24 points a game through three games those are all-star numbers I doubt he's able to keep that up um Russell's the guy if he's able to turn it up Dinwiddie also has he he was impressive last year I think that was one of the sort of lone bright spots for the for the Nets in a disappointing year with Jeremy Lin going out early um Dinwiddie surprised a lot of people 
One thing for this Nets team that I look at, though, is they're missing a premier frontcourt player as well. As much as they have some pieces in the backcourt with Levert, Dinwiddie, Russell, there's no even close to high-caliber frontcourt player. Jared Allen is not that. Uh, Kenneth Fareed is definitely not that. I don't know. It's a team that plays hard, and they definitely have potential. They have cap space, but I don't think they're going to be enough to be a top-eight team in the East. Yeah, no, this year's definitely not their year. And I think you're right with saying that they don't have a good enough front court player this year. But I think Jared Allen could really be a very good center in this league. He's a very good um, shot blocker, um, and he's pretty athletic um, as far as center go, centers go. He runs the court well. I think he could be really effective. I also like Ed Davis. Um, and, you know, Kenneth Reed, he's not going to be used very much, but he can do some minutes for you here and there. Um, I think the big thing the Nets just don't have, as I said, is somebody to close games. They don't have that superstar. They have a lot of good players. Like Joe Harris is a, a good player. They have a, you know, a solid core. And if you added like one star to this team, they'd be a serious contender. You know, I think in an East that's very weak. If you added a Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, I think they'd be a pretty good team with D'Angelo Russell growing a little bit. Karis LeVert coming into his own. I think they'd be a good team, but they're just not there yet. I I have them as a 10 seed. You're, you're not talking about the garbage that LeBron James was dealing with last year. You're talking about some solid pieces. Yeah. So you, you add a superstar, not LeBron's caliber, no one is, but some sort of star to really be in the spotlight here. Russell and... Levert, these kind of guys are secondary players that can really supplement a star. So I like what the Nets have done, whether that destination we'll see. But in terms of looking ahead, I like matchups like they have this week against uh, the Cavs in Cleveland. The Cavs are probably a borderline playoff team in the East this year, uh, led by Kevin Love. So how the Nets play in these type of games and how they distinguish themselves and assert themselves in these type of matchups, I think goes a long way towards telling you where they are right now. And once we see that, we'll get a better idea of whether the Nets can compete for that 7th or 8th seed in the playoffs a few months down the road. Um, wrapping things up here, is there one thing you guys are, are looking forward to in the next week in the NBA? Anything that jumps out at you? I think I want to see how the Lakers do this week. Um, you know, I love watching LeBron. I think he's you know, the most entertaining player to watch in the NBA just because of how good of a basketball IQ he has, how physically talented he is. And with a new team like the Lakers, I'm, I'm going to want to tune in every single night um, to see how that team works out. Are they going to start to figure it out? Um, and that's, that's really what I'm going to look forward to this next week. Milwaukee at 3-0 and in the East. They're, they're a team that a lot of people had high hopes for, uh, led by the Greek Freak, maybe finishing top three, dare I say, in the East. So they're off to a 3-0 and start. They have the 76ers on Wednesday, so that should be a fun one to watch. Uh, I'm really interested to see their development and how they go from here. So give me Milwaukee as my team throughout the entire league that I'm most interested in right now. Very interesting team there. The one game I have circled is that Thursday night uh, TNT premier game, Celtics at Thunder. My Thunder still haven't gotten a win yet. They're 0-3, but I really do believe that they may be the biggest test for Golden State in the West if they can have everybody firing on all cylinders. With with Westbrook and Paul George there, I, th I don't know if there's a better one-two punch in the league outside of outside of Golden State. So that's going to be interesting to see. I think I, I like the additions that the Thunder made defensively, and I think they're a really good defensive team if Roberson gets healthy. So that's that's a team that underperformed last year, especially in the playoffs, that I think you got to keep circled in sort of 
moving forward and looking for contenders in the West. But that'll do it for us on this edition of Pick and Pod. Big shout-out to Jimmy Sullivan producing, Chris Calamari, Emmanuel Barbari. Until next time, I'm Vinny DeBellis, and this has been Pick and Pod.